Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Would you pray with me? There we go. Nice. Father, thank you for bringing us all here today. Thank you for um, a little bit of cool weather. Uh, and Lord, just play, uh, please be with those of us who are traveling this week, those of us who are taking some time to think about big decisions and um, just to help us enjoy um, the rest of the weekend. In your name we pray, amen. Great. Um, so, uh, my name is Zach Gates. I am not a pastor um, or the pastor here uh, our pastor, Dave McKinley, and his wife, Gretchen, are out on vacation. He wanted me to make sure that since he is considering a call right now to uh, a church in St. Louis, um, that I make it clear that he's not gone this week. Um, so he's not gone. Uh, he's in Mexico enjoying life. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, but again, we'll prayerfully just kind of be there for him, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later as well, but again, just keep that in mind. But um, we are in a series right now called Generous Justice. We're looking at different, um, uh, I guess, areas of justice, concepts of justice in the Bible, God's justice or biblical justice. Uh, last week, we looked a little bit about what that means from, from this verse in Micah 6, verse 8. Um, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Um, last week was a little more focused on that doing justice, uh, the outward, the expression of justice in the community and systems. Uh, and this week, we're looking more at the motivation of it. Why do we do justice as Christians? And where we kind of find that in this verse, we're going to focus on that phrase right there, love kindness. You might have seen it squished together before as the word loving kindness as a, as a noun, um, but really what that is is this biblical word named or called chesed. Um, you guys want to try that with me? Say it on three, really get the gutturals there. One, two, three, chesed. Nice, a lot of, that was gross. Let's go. Um, okay, so yeah, that's kind of what we're focusing on is this concept of chesed. Uh, it embodies those kind of three characteristics, right? Loyal love, which is faithfulness, right? Covenantal love, kind of like the marriage sort of love that we see. Um, compassion and right relationship. Somehow those three things mean justice uh, biblically or one aspect of it in Scripture. Um, so what we're kind of going to do is, is walk through a couple different stories, because my first thoughts when I, when I understood or started to look into this concept were um, the, uh, the story of the, the origins of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, of, of recovery groups, um, and uh, the story of Eustace from the Chronicles of Narnia, two very weird stories, um, different stories, I guess you could say, but they all kind of do come together, and then we're going to walk through those. We're going to go into Scripture a little bit, tie it all together, and that's kind of the journey we're going to go on this morning. Everyone good to go? Great. Um, so here's a pretty famous picture, I guess, in, in recovery circles. Um, the uh, first AA group, well, 
came about in the 1930s. Um, there is this doctor named Bill Silkworth, and he had treated um, tens of thousands of um, what he called alcoholics of the hopeless variety. Um, he kind of described them as people who had a, a sickness of the, a disease of the mind and an allergy of the body. Uh, and what he also kind of hypothesized was that people couldn't have any sort of lasting sobriety if there wasn't some sort of um, spiritual experience that led to a psychic change. That's how he described it in his medical type of language. Um, and he passed this along to one of his patients named Bill W. And Bill W. kind of um, brought this forward. His experience came about when he realized that he couldn't stay and have any sort of lasting or solid sobriety until he gave it away, unless he was working with somebody else, unless he was um, identifying with someone else's powerlessness, their experience with this disease. For some reason, that led to some sort of recovery and lasting sobriety. So that's one, one little story, this shared brokenness that these men had somehow um, was able to, to, to keep people in some sort of um, mode or direction of recovery. And then we go to the story of Eustace from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. He's this boy who um, is on this island in this story. He goes into a cave and there's a dragon in there. The dragon has died, but his um, gold is in there. And he puts on uh, a bracelet and he falls asleep in this cave and he wakes up and he is the dragon. And then he can't get back to his normal self. He tries to claw and claw at his skin and try to um, go back to his normal way of, of being, and uh, he can't get there, right, until he meets Aslan the lion, the, the Christ figure in the Narnia stories. Um, and Aslan uh, is kind of pictured there. It's kind of a cool picture, I guess. Um, but, but yeah, it isn't until Aslan says, follow me, and he starts to tear away at the flesh, and uh, that, that Eustace is able to become himself again. So... Keep that in mind, too, as we move forward. So how does this relate to chesed? How does this relate to justice? And it's all found in Jesus, right? As everything is in the biblical narrative. Um, it's all found in Jesus. So we're going to go back to Genesis 1 through 3, the first pages of the Bible. Um, in the creation narrative, we see that... Um, you know, God is hovering over the disordered chaos of the world, the, the chaotic waters, the disordered waters. He brings land and life out of it. There's um, seas and land, night and day, sun, moon, and stars. The seasons all come during this. Um, plants, animals, fish, birds, uh, those are all called good by God in the creation story. And then you get to um, humans being made. God makes them in his image. He designs them in his image in the Imago Dei, uh, and they are male and female. He created them, um, and he calls this very good. And it isn't just in their physicality. You know, it, it's in their, their design. It's in what they are um, designed to do as well, uh, which is to have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals of the land. I'm really glad I nailed that. When I, in pra when I practiced this, I said birds of the sea. Um, so that's a win. Um, but uh, we're all made in his image, right? This is what we're designed for. We're designed for prosperity, for life, just like God was doing 
on the first couple of pages and the first couple of sentences in Scripture. And we get that, we get that blessing and that commission to go out, to be fruitful and multiply as well, and to fill the earth as God's people. But we know that that only lasted for a couple of verses. And in Genesis 3, the fall happens, and sin enters into the world, and the brokenness of the world enters in. So, again, this, is, this story of sin too and the story of the fall, it's all about this, this breaking of relationship. Like has said, we're in right relationship when we're, when we're in right relationship with God. We're out of right relationship when we fall into this and sin enters into the world and the design that was once there was, was broken. So we all have this curse and this sickness, right? We all have the propensity to move out of God's design and out of God's will for us and to take the will uh, of ourselves and to live by self-will. Uh, we see that with Eve, right? She rationalizes all of these ways as to why we should eat from the tree, which God very clearly instructed us not to. That was part of our design, and yet we broke that. And then we passed that along to others, and we're expelled from the garden, and we're expelled from God's presence, and we can't make it back. There's that angel with the flaming sword that protects Eden from us. So what does this mean for us? Well, it, it's, it's identifying that we all have this sinful nature. Uh, we all put ourselves in God's place. We all try every day to save ourselves somehow. We, we look for any sort of way outside of God to save ourselves. Uh, we break God's image in relationship to him when we do this because that is his relationship to us. He's Father and God and Savior. So we see that manifested in different ways, right? We put a lot of different things in the place of God. Some of us put our, um, like to, again, refer to recovery groups, right? There's substances that take the place of God. There are relationships that take the place of God. There are jobs and career paths that take God's place or somehow justify our existence, which we're desperately searching for because we do have that emptiness in ourselves because we aren't living in God's design. We are out of Eden. We're out of right relationship when we have this sinful sickness. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest from Arizona, um, probably my new favorite author. He uh, argues that everyone is an addict in some sense. Everyone runs to something, right? Everybody has something that they rely on and that they go to before God first. And um, I would agree with him in that sense because we all have seen this in ourselves. What are different things that take priority in our lives that we run to before we run to God? This is us trying to save ourselves. And this is us trying to live out of God's design for us and live in the way that we would like to live for ourselves. It's self-will. And we see this manifested, unfortunately, externally. So many people, um, outside of those other things I'd mentioned, like maybe substances or relationships or careers, uh, th this is all ego, right? This is all a building up of self. Again, Richard Rohr argues that there's, there's this protective mode that we go into um, to, to keep us at bay from dealing with the, the dark side of ourselves, right? The side of us that has that propensity to sin and do things that we wish we did not do. Like Paul says in Romans, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And this is Paul, right? Author of most of the New Testament. But we have, we have this ego, Paul would call it the flesh, this again, propensity to hide from our true self and the side of ourself that we would rather not believe exists. Um, and we see people build up their ego, unfortunately, in uh, nationalistic identity as well. We see it built up in church, in our morality, 
in our goodness and, and the fact that we, we showed up here today, right? So I'm a, I'm a good person and I don't need to do any sort of repenting. Um, unfortunately, the church has a lot to repent of. Um, you know, we see so many people take something good from Scripture and turn that into, you know, they see what they want to see from it. They see their own will manifested uh, or intertwined somehow with God's. It's God's will. We're out of design. We're out of chesed when we do that sort of thing. And the question, too, to kind of keep in mind as we go through this is, are you looking at Scripture or are you looking at God's will for your own personal gain, or are you going to take a posture of humility or let God humble you into a posture of humility for God's kingdom gain? That is something certainly worth keeping in mind because, again, we see people so many times throughout church history and in American history seeing and degrading God's image bearers in the name of some sort of ego buildup, right? We see that in people uh, in God's name or justifying uh, the, degra- the degradation of another race, uprooting them from another continent and exploiting them in an entirely other continent and taking them from their homes and their families. We see this, um, unfortunately, the last couple of weeks, there's been articles about um, Native American folks, uh, stories about children's bodies being found under residential schools, hundreds and hundreds of them taken from their homes from their families and their tribes and moved into these places where they're westernized and Christianized and they're degraded in their image-bearing nature of people who reflect this beautiful mosaic of what it means to be a child of God. It's not just one particular people or race as um, certain uh, moments in the 20th century would have us um, kind of believe and you see the bloodshed and the atrocity that comes from that. There's so much suffering that comes from self-will making itself known in the world, especially when it has God's name attached to it. And the big question is, does that look like our savior? And I would argue absolutely not. So if we, and another question too to consider is if we are broken and powerless people, if we're all addicted or seek to um, put other things in God's place other than ours, indicative of our brokenness, how can we fix ourselves? How can a broken thing fix itself? That by definition is not possible. So we need Jesus. Let's, let's get back into the narrative of Scripture to see what that looks like for us in said, in compassionate, loyal love, and in right relationship. In Genesis 15, there's this really interesting story where God makes a covenant with Abraham. And in this covenant, he, uh, kind of gross, he instructs Abraham to gather these animals and to cut them in half and spread them apart. And signing the covenant, somebody would walk between those, which indicates that life or blood will be shed if the covenant um, terms are broken. And God, in this instance, is the one who walks through those parts which means that God is saying, even if you, Abraham, and your people uh, break the terms of this covenant, I will bear the consequences of that. That's God saying that, right? Even if Abraham breaks those terms, God is going to pay the price. Um, And then we fast forward to Exodus 12, um, the story of the Passover. The angel of death is passing over Egypt, and the instructions for the people are to um, have the blood of the unblemished lamb cover the door of their homes. And if they do so, their firstborn will not die. But if they don't um, cover their homes with the blood of the lamb, uh, their firstborn will die. So it's the blood of the unblemished lamb that saves. 
And certainly we see this with Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfills this. Jesus is the answer to that covenant. He pays the price for us in breaking those terms for Israel uh, and Abraham's people breaking those terms. He is the unblemished lamb, like John says, John the Baptist in John 1 says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when Jesus approaches. On the cross, Jesus takes in all of that sin fulfilling messianic prophecies all the way from Genesis 3 and completing that first end of the covenant and opening us up to a new one where we are in right relationship with God. We have our debts paid. The covenant, the breaking of the covenant was paid for. And the blood of the unblemished lamb, Jesus did not succumb to sin like Adam and Eve did in the garden. He resisted the temptation in the desert and he was sinless and he lived this sinful life and he was God and he paid the consequences for our breaking of terms. And then we see compassion in Jesus. Jesus' miracles are so frequently motivated by compassion for image bearers because every human being bears the image of God, right? So in Mark 1, verse 40 to 45, there's a leper, his body out of right relationship, right? And it says that Jesus has compassion on him before he heals him. And it says in some translations too that Jesus pitied him or was angry, So why is Jesus angry? It's because this image bearer is suffering and the consequences of sin are so painful to him as someone who knows what we're designed for and we're living outside of that and the consequences of that are difficult to bear. So he heals the man. In Matthew 9, 36, we see um, Jesus uh, says he has compassion on the crowds because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. He has compassion on them in their lostness just like we are when we seek other things outside of God um, to fulfill us. In, in Matthew 14, 14, and in Mark 6, right before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has compassion on the crowds, and he heals their sick, and he feeds them. In Luke 7, 13, Jesus sees a widow uh, weeping and mourning for her son during a funeral procession, and he raises the son from the dead because he has compassion on the widow. And we see this with Lazarus as well in uh, the book of John. Again, we're made in God's God's image. And these sorts of consequences, these things that we were not designed for, are so painful to Jesus, to God, that he would send Jesus to, A, pay the consequences of breaking that covenant, B, uh, take that in on himself, and then C, rise from the dead and offer us that new life that we were designed for. So... I would argue that this is the ultimate freedom because this is hesed, right? We can, we can see Jesus putting us into right relationship with God and with himself. We can see the faithfulness from thousands of years prior of God sticking to his covenant and following through with that. And like we sang earlier, he still is that faithful God that we can rely on today. But we in our American culture love to do things ourselves, so application points, right? We, we, again, have this propensity to save ourselves and just not possible. We, we know that we do that with Jesus. And yet, we continually try to do that. It's that American mindset of we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Tim Keller, um, who wrote the book Generous Justice, uh, has this quote that I thought was pretty awesome. was, when you have this moment of said, when you let said be done to you, understanding your powerlessness, understanding your brokenness, and understanding that God is your savior and not anything else, and especially not me or the person I build myself up to be, to look like to other folks. Um, We have this ability to enter into God's kingdom, and we can see our culture from kind of a bird's eye view. 
giving us the ability to critique these sorts of things. And while it is, and a lot of these things are good, uh, good things for us, like our religion, like our traditions, um, it is difficult to make, it is difficult and sometimes uh, very possible and dangerous when that becomes our savior over Jesus. So taking that bird's eye view and taking that step back, we can kind of understand a little bit more about our culture and how we have to take that burden off ourselves to save ourselves constantly. And in doing so, you know, we let Jesus be our savior and we let uh, Jesus do his job. We like to do Jesus' job for him so frequently and it's very difficult and that leads to so many different disorderings, just like Genesis 1, right? But thankfully, we do have God's spirit now. We do have God and Jesus as our Savior and the ability to accept said, accept the love that we already have. We don't have to earn that anymore. That's gracefully given to us, mercifully given to us. And we can accept that, right? I know so many people that I, I've met and, and um, you know, they struggle with this, with this idea that I have to do nothing, right? You have to do, you have to do nothing except accept it. And it's sitting there and waiting for you today. That has said that right relationship, that image-bearing beauty that we can kind of see in other folks is right there for the taking. And that gives us the motivation for when we are moving forward through this transformative process of shedding our skin or of acknowledging our brokenness and powerlessness that we can bring that to other people. We can have compassion on others in their sinful nature, in their lostness, just like Jesus saw we can have that ability to see where people may be going out of God's design for us, where they might skew from the path, and we can be there for them since we've been there ourselves and since we know justice has been done for us already. And Jesus, again, like our culture would not have us like to believe, he gave up his power in order to, uh, to gain it, right? And that's what we do in, in, uh, in the church as well. We, we give up our power. We acknowledge that we are powerless, right? That it's up to Jesus and up to God. We can do so little outside of him. And this brings gratitude into our lives rather than, I wish I had that, or I wish I was better, or like that person. We have this peace and contentment with who we were designed to be uniquely in God's image. And we can see that in other people as well. So it becomes more inclusive of a gospel message rather than exclusive of a gospel message, something that shuts people out for whatever number of reasons we can identify and have compassion on others and welcome them here into this place. So that's my challenge for you is to understand more of how justice is done to you and how justice is done to so many others in this beautiful way of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, taking all of what we did onto himself and allowing us to live freely in the chosenness and in the grace that's offered to us, in the freedom of being an image bearer, designed as, as we are, uniquely and, and beautifully, and we can bring that to others. And when we see things happening in our culture and in our environment around us, we can bring justice as well, call those sorts of things out and have that motivation to move forward and, you know, be bringers of the kingdom here in the world. So, um, yeah, if you would bow your heads and pray with me. Um, Father, thank you for uh, the fact that we do not have to earn this because we would be struggling for the rest of our lives and we would never get there. We do that so often and we forget. And Lord, I pray that you uh, once again have grace uh, on us and allow us to see the design that we were given, the right relationship that we've been given with you, 
where you save us and we don't save ourselves. We don't earn your salvation, but we just accept the acceptance that you offer us. Lord, please help us to share this message with others. Help them Help us uh, help others understand that they are image bearers as well and that uh, we can live in compassion for our fellow human being rather than exclusion or judgment. And Lord, I pray that uh, we're able to be a church that offers this to the world.